Welcome back to the Quiet On Set podcast powered by Cineman. I'm Ian Graff and as always I'm joined by Lachlan Teeley. On episode 162 we have some casting news. We haven't had that in a while in the news segment but something a bit exciting is brewing in that superhero space. There'll be a lot more in that news section coming up. Yes we'll get to that. Uh, I watched a bunch of stuff including Disney's latest animated flick Wish as well as Leo with Adam Sandler as a lizard. Speaking of monsters, I guess I caught uh, the Godzilla spin-off uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters and I watched the new uh, Japanese Godzilla film, uh, Godzilla Minus One and Eli Roth's murderous slasher Thanksgiving. Finally this week, our main topic of conversation is Napoleon, the latest Ridley Scott film. Does it stack up against these others? Uh, we'll share our thoughts about that. You and I both caught it. We're excited to uh, discuss Ridley Scott's yes. latest epic. Of course, so let's queue up that intro and get into the show. We are professionals. This is, this is a professional podcast. Yeah. Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Hello there. <laughs> Which actually, Did you this get is going to be a as bit... well? Um, yes. So I've got Dune Cam. <laughs> it's just a camera <laughs> with my Dune steelbook. Welcome back, Lachlan. Big week. The Black Friday week, Thanksgiving week. Busy time of the year, right? Yeah. Busy if you work in retail, busy uh, if you don't. It's just busy yeah. all year round uh, for other people. But um, mm. yeah, you had a big week. Uh, not in terms of like busyness, but in terms of uh, kaiju. Uh, I've noticed that you <laughs> <laughs> watch a lot yeah. of kaijus, uh, so a lot of big stuff. <laughs> yeah, at least lizards. I watched three lizard movies this week, or I guess yeah. a series as well. Some interesting stuff. Uh, Godzilla sometimes under the water, right? Yeah. He swims or, or they swim. I don't know how they identify as, as a gender. I, I don't actually know if it's a female or male usually. Well, Godzilla got woke. Never mind. Uh, I comment. The Lost Kingdom, the second movie. Uh, <laughs> that trailer, um, to me, I, I caught the first one early this year for the first time. And it was just something I, I, I missed how incredibly over the top this under the water universe is that they created here mm. i feel like this next one is um i mean even even crazier it, it, it's a bit bizarre uh, have you have you caught the trailer what did you think of it uh no uh and uh i don't plan on kind of watching it so yep. if it is uh if it's, if it's gonna be our main topic in a week i'll, I'll guess i'll go watch it but i have I don't, no not. interest in seeing this movie at all I think it's. So I have one no interest in. I didn't even. I didn't even know the trailer released. <laughs> it uh, it's it's one of the films I think that still releases this year, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, sure. fortunately for us, I don't think it's in a week where it's the only thing that we get to talk about. So I don't think we we have to cover it. Uh, cause yeah. some weeks, yeah, it is a bit slower, so we kind of have to go with something that we don't really want to talk about that much. Uh, but that's that. It's pretty crazy. Uh, I don't know. He has a son and then the son gets stolen. And apparently that's the plot. Getting him back. Uh, taken style, but underwater. But yeah, that's Family. that's that. So one thing Aquaman learned from Fast 10. <laughs> yeah, that's what he brought with him. Yeah. yeah, it will flash back and it's just like a drive-by shooting or something like that. But underwater. There weren't really any other trailers or exciting like new showcases for uh, movies this week. Uh, other than some some news, uh, we can go through the positive stuff first. So the casting stuff uh, outside of the Superman uh, for the Superman Legacy movie, um, which had two new additions to the cast, including Nicholas Holt as 
Alex Luffer and Skyler uh, Gizondo cast as Jimmy Olsen. I think I've seen him in some stuff. Uh, he's just someone who's who's in the supporting cast a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I know his face, person. actually. Yeah, yeah. I think you've seen him. Uh, I'm, just trying to, seen him. I'm just trying to see. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. He was in Licorin Licorice Pizza, apparently. I, I don't remember him being in that, but I saw Vacation. Uh, not too long ago, that like older movie with Ed Helms, um, and Chevy Chase, and he 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 was in that one. Um, that's why I was familiar with him. But um, I know who he is. He's from Narnia Museum. It makes total sense now. Uh, yes, awful. I do not remember him in Licorice Pizza at all. I remember his face as a child. This is making way more sense. Also, this like he's got a crazy amount of credits on his IMDb. Sixty nine. Nice. Acting nice. credits and one upcoming with Superman Legacy, but my God, this person's—he's one. Hang on, how many this year? Child uh, actor. Only then? oh, only three. But yeah. one, two, three. Man, he's—he's he's banging out a decent amount of stuff. Like bloody hell. Yeah, busy guy, and he will continue to be that. I guess the reporter with a camera. I think Jimmy Olsen is one of the reporter friends of Clark Kent, which earlier this year already cast David Cornsweet as as Superman and. Uh, Rachel Brosnahan as uh, Lois Lane. I think they also cast some supporting people in there. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, with the way that uh, Marvel is going, I feel like anything that DC puts out is in comparison a success. I don't know if you saw. It turns out the the Marvels had uh, not only did the lowest uh, opening for an MCU film ever, it also had the biggest drop-off for any superhero movie, like worse than Morbius and worse yeah, right. than all of those uh, flops, like the flashes, everything. So, so yeah, really just no no gas uh, left in the tank for Marvel at the moment. Um, and we'll have to wait and see if they can turn this I think I think the around. Marvels, unfortunately, just didn't have the fan base to have it be successful at the cinema i, th I think yeah. with for those who like the, the the character of captain marvel i feel like there has been enough bad press around brie larson and her portrayal of the character that most people didn't really care for it and the only people really going are the fan the really hardcore fanboys of the mcu that care yeah. about it and they want to see the latest one but i feel like the marvels didn't really have much setting it up for success it was also that the first one was um, a movie that made over a billion dollar at, dollars at the box office, mm. but that was kind of at the peak of um, Marvel hype. It came out right between those two Avengers movies and I think Ant-Man and the Wasp that came out uh, shortly after, I think, uh, Infinity War also got that boost um, that yeah. likely wouldn't have gotten, and we saw that with the third, yeah, third one. <laughs> <laughs> how many movies they've done with, uh, with Ant-Man at this point. But, um, yeah, you can kind of see that it really dips. Uh, a lot of people do not care for it anymore now that that Infinity Saga has ended, I mean, for years now, and they haven't really had anything to replace it with. But, yeah, that's that. We we talked about the, uh, the Marvels, of course, extensively <laughs> on uh, two weeks back, I think, on one of our episodes. Got really in-depth there. Uh, but the next news is a bit, uh, especially for us, both two huge uh, Scream fans. I would also say we're fans of the franchise. You definitely, we both really love the original for what it is. I think that's still the strongest of them all. 
Um, and every single subsequent sequel because they're really fun in their own unique ways, but Scream yeah, yeah. 1 still remains the best. Of course. And now we have arrived at the seventh one in the franchise. They are turn turning them out Will quite we quickly. Well, it doesn't look like it because they fired uh, Melissa Barrera, uh, who was the lead in the last two. Uh, Jenna Ortega uh, swiftly followed, but not for the reasons of solidarity. Apparently, it was this was already something that they were planning or had issues with scheduling uh, for the second season of Wednesday. Has me all has all kinds kinds of weird conspiracies that they just kind of wanted to kill this movie now that Jenna Ortega is not in it. That that's just me speculating that they blew this up more than it needed to because um well Barrera was uh, fired because she made statements about the Palestinian um, genocide that's going on and still is going on right now. And uh, apparently uh, they that this was deemed anti-Semitism, which it, clearly it is not. And that meaning is that word is uh, losing its meaning when it's used like this. Uh, but you can read up more uh, on the story. We don't want to comment on as much of the political side, but ultimately I think she really put it well. She's condemning anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and uh, any kind of hate and prejudice against any kind of group of people. It, it feels odd that uh, I've seen some other people get fired over attending a Palestinian rally and stuff like that and speaking up against the genocide and it's, it's just it's just it's just weird yeah uh, this this whole thing is, is weird yeah. like why but uh, apparently they're now eyeing uh, nev campbell and patrick dempsey to return back into the film which by the way if you didn't catch that in scream 6 uh they offered her uh i guess not enough for her to return um and i guess now the will be offering a bunch more if they actually want her back but I don't think I will be watching. Well, Scream, now that they're not Scream paying 7. for General Ortega, who's probably got a massive yeah, uh, paycheck herself, uh, yeah. they could probably afford Neve. Yeah, I mean, I think they could have just it could before. It seems like just because this is coming up from the director, but the producers that the producers for these movies are just kind of kind of dickheads. They're they're not pretty smart. They're pretty dumb. And I I kind of don't want to support mm. the next Scream movie. Uh, I think if Nev is in, in it and they get some sort of, or they reset something, I don't know what they will do. I don't think I'll watch it because I think that, like, yeah, yeah the actions they It's unfortunate because like, it, it did feel like disgusting. they were setting up a really decent storyline yeah. with it as well. To, yeah. to have that be dropped, it was exciting. But, hey, uh, honestly, it, like, I don't want to support this movie either in this case. If, if yep. this is how producers feel about people using a platform to spread a message uh yeah. yeah it's kind of sucky it is kind of sucky <laughs> but uh yeah we'll move on uh from this uh again i'm still for me hey if scream dies final destination will rise gotta bring it in at least once per episode <laughs> come on come on get it done uh does anyways. melissa um yep. have any other jobs at the moment not like like does she work elsewhere? But like, does she have any other gigs that she's got lined up on her IMDb for the future, other than just Scream? I'm not sure, but she has been pretty active in the last the couple one, of years. The one your monster collaboration, untitled monster thriller for Universal Pictures. Uh, I guess that she's got some couple things under her belts. Uh, so I guess we wouldn't be too concerned. Yeah, I think um she she has a bunch of stuff that 
will still uh release um but she is just kind of i think starting her career in the yep. business uh as well uh but she has the musical talent uh dancing talent uh and um i mean early on people were criticizing her acting i didn't mind her at all in the first screen movie i don't think she was bad at all yeah uh love to see more of her i think she's she's a great actress and uh mm. yeah would love to see more of her i guess just not in scream but yeah speaking of reviving old franchises or crossing them over for some reason a new karate kid movie is in the works with jackie chan and ralph macchio from uh, jackie chan obviously from the uh jaden smith <laughs> reboot or remake of it uh and then ralph macchio uh was the kid in the original one who's also now starring in cobra kai and i think that series is about to end with its next season they're like on season six or something at the moment so i think probably that last season will lead into a movie i assume something like that yeah what do you think of this are you gonna are you excited to to revisit this uh franchise with the people that we know from it yes and i'm gonna audition <laughs> yeah they did have an opening call for for to audition in luckily i think you could pass as like a 17 year old so you probably could I can do, do it. it yeah you can do it i just i just gotta work on my accents yeah well i don't know if they want to do i uh, like an australian an karate kid yeah an, an aussie karate kid well to, maybe the casting call will actually be like more open than you think and yeah. once you arrive there, it's more like Squid Game, and you all fight to the death. Oh, right, <laughs> yeah. okay. And that's well, the actual maybe movie. Maybe I shouldn't audition. <laughs> let me, let me. Is there a link to this casting call? And I'll, and I'll, and I'll audition right now. Yeah, uh, I just saw the the video. Uh, probably was linked below where you could audition. I'm curious to how many people are actually gonna like send in, and if it says like what the age range should be for what what the age range should be for the actor, but. I assume that they're mm. also going to have, like, they're probably going to try to include from the casting call people to sort of be in the background of the movie or be, like, antagonists or something like that. That would be pretty smart if they get people who okay. actually do karate. So, there are, it's not as open as, as we think. They're not looking for anybody. Oh, right. uh, open casting call, Karate Kid, starring Jackie Chan, Ralph Macchio. We are looking for the next Karate Kid. Uh, Lee Fong. Looking for an actor to portray a Chinese or mixed-race Chinese and between oh, right. 15 to 17 years old. He speaks fluent English. Conversational Mandarin is a strong plus. He's smart, scrappy, and skilled martial arts. Uh, any sort of martial arts movement and gymnastics and or dance experience is a strong plus. Acting experience is pre uh, preferred but not required. Must be available March to June 2024. If this sounds like a role for you or somebody you know, please email your name where you are based, and a recent photo and a short bio. Um, so it looks like I won't be able to audition for this one, everybody. Yeah, uh, just outside of the requirements. I, I, uh, I'm just outside of the uh, smart part. So, yeah, I, I won't be able to like, audition. <laughs> yeah, the rest you got covered. You got some... The rest, yeah, I, yeah like clearly, clearly. 23 and me, and you, you look for maybe there's yeah. some Chinese in you. Uh, yeah. So in interesting. I, I'm glad I looked that up uh, yeah. before before sending in a stupid audition of me. <laughs> yeah, it's just you fighting, like you fighting, and you catching a fly midair, and that's that's your audition. Yeah, so, down under, upside down. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be a power up if you could just like throwing boomerangs. That's what we do. Well, uh, anyways, the boy and the heron um has started here in Switzerland. It's out. 
uh, uh, but not yet uh, flex. internationally. Flex, I told you every episode. <laughs> Uh, I've seen it a while ago. Add that another flex on top of that. Uh, but the boy and the heron, um, Hayao Miyazaki, it will continue to make movies. It will not, or at least another Shocker. movie. It will not be Shocker. his last. This man's gonna make movies until he's dead. He, he will. He will. He will definitely be. Like, and then once he's dead, he'll make another one. <laughs> from beyond the grave, he's like in the direction beyond the grave. Still. Yeah, I I wonder if he dies while he makes his last movie, who will like finish it? If it will be his son or someone else? Interesting to see that. But uh, he said he's not starting work on his next film until the Boy and the Heron is out of theaters, uh, because apparently that's kind of the process that he that he likes. So it's completely finished, uh, before he yeah. gets to work again and he's inspired again. And I mean, um, yeah. He certainly crafts worlds if it always works. Yeah. Well, uh, most of the time it actually does. There's always something that you can attach to. Even if... if I only have to I, wait um, two weeks to see it. And then I think we'll probably do it as our main review then. Yeah. Uh, so in two okay, weeks time we'll actually be talking about it a bit more extensively. Then also uh, Adam Sandler. We'll be talking about him later on as an animated lizard. But... Uh, hopefully not as an animated lizard. He, uh, he will star Yoda voice uh, in the next uh, Softy Bros movie. Uh, apparently, they said it was heavily, uh, heavily affected by the strike because um, it's uh, somehow based around a baseball season, and they they wanted to shoot in the actual location. And when um, the games were on, so it seems like there's gonna be another like sports theming uh, with Uncut Gems. We had basketball. This time around, we probably have like a sort of different type of story because um, I don't know if you saw Anka Gems, but I don't think we'll be re revisiting that character anytime soon. But I'm really looking forward to this. I don't know uh, how you feel about it. Uh, Lachlan, are you excited? Yeah. No, I, I talent. It's just pure talent in this yeah. entire article. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I'll, I'll, I'll happily wait if they need to, if they want to delay it. Uh, I guess there is a uh, there's different like there's different filmmakers who and and actors and 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 creators who will scrap an idea because it just didn't line up. But then there mm. are those who will wait until it lines up again for them to be able to make something. And if it doesn't line up for them, and they have to kind of wait a little bit, and then they all go and do their own thing again. I don't know. Safety mm. brothers do one of them does some couple acting gigs, the other one does some directing gigs, and then Adam yeah. Sandler makes you know. Um, he's he's uh, in, what's, in a what's dad face What's one of his stupid right movies? What's his stupid movies that he does? Uh, you are uh, like so not Netflix. invited to my bat mitzvah. That was his part two, one. Return of the King. Uh, and he does that, and then he comes back. Then yeah, sure. But mm. right now, it's not going to work out. I'm happy to see them just wait and sort it out. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, didn't they say that they're going to be starting production soon? But I guess they have to wait on the season to start back up and i'm not familiar with baseball mm. i don't know when this stuff is happening but i assume they probably can't do it right now so uh yeah we're not sure yeah. right now we kind of missed the opportunity of the baseball season because of the strike a lot of it was going to be shot during live baseball so it's going to take a minute we're figuring it all out right now i'm not sure when it's mm. all going to happen so they could basically just put it on hold and then try to figure out a uh, you know what i've just realized this episode i uh, not this episode i know it's bloody difficult but then being an actor's like schedule organizer must be the most insane job ever uh yeah. to balance out different productions and then 
if some production company wants a reshoot, can you imagine if you're an in demand yeah. uh, actor actress, how insane that would be? That that was the that was the issue with the MCU uh, in the last couple of years because they relied so much on reshoots that they were just mm. shooting on the fly. They shot with unfinished scripts and stuff like that. And I really hope they uh, can work on that because, like, yeah, it really it, it made the production so much more expensive, but also uh, a lot of the people in it so unavailable. It's no surprise that the people who were at the center of these stories didn't do any other movies outside of the MCU. But as for the news this week, don't forget to rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and subscribe on the YouTube and uh, leave a like there uh, while you're at it did as well. Did you just well. say on the YouTube? On the YouTube, did I say? What did I How say? How old are you? Did, you said, no, you said this? on the YouTube. On the YouTube. <laughs> Why are you calling it the YouTube? How old are you, bro? <laughs> um, i sorry. Currently, I'm not available. Um, <laughs> comment. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> discussion time uh talking about how old i am um let's talk about world war ii when i was actually still already alive um but no <laughs> period pieces we're talking about napoleon later today and i just wanted to talk to you about period pieces and epics what do you think of them is it like one of your favorite types of genres uh what makes them good what makes them bad open-ended question what do you think lachlan well, it's it's funny that we're talking about epics because while I think Napoleon has moments in it that are on an epic scale, it is quite a personal movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it isn't really a grand scale event. Uh, it does still rely heavily on dialogue and the relationship between Josephine and Napoleon. That's That's the part that kind of took me by surprise of how much mm. the film was of that. But we'll get into that yeah. shortly. Obviously, we're going to talk about sort of epics and, and sort of period pieces because yeah. I feel like it is almost like a dying genre. We don't really get uh, a lot of big epics these days. They they often spend a lot of money on other things instead of epics. Uh, I wouldn't even consider Killers of a Flower Moon to be an epic. I, I think that it's it's still quite a small scale. Uh, yeah, the scheme of things, I would consider the likes of like the Lord of the Rings or a Star Wars to be epics. We've we've spoken about like you know uh, trilogies and 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 the next big thing in cinema, uh, and we said that it was going to be video game adaptations. But I think that we don't really get that grand scale epic, and I think that's why movies like Dune and Dune Part Two were so heavily hyped. Is that it was one of the first big epics in a while that just felt mm -hmm. that it was going to explode. And it was the same with, um, and this was a bit of a smaller one, but all quiet on the Western front, right? Yeah. That yeah. felt super epic. And we don't really get those sort of films anymore. And that, that's sort of the unfortunate thing about that genre of, of, of epics, which, which is kind of a broad demographic. It's, it's not really like one set thing. You can have a, a war epic. You can have, you know spartacus as an epic like a character like napoleon as an epic you can have a sci-fi epic but yeah, yeah it's it's um it's a funny it's a funny genre that i think that it, it takes a very talented filmmaker to really nail mm -hmm. yeah because it is all about like what do you actually end up focusing on because period pieces and epics 
have the extensity uh, uh, sensitiveness of an entire time at their fingertips mm. and it's what you use what you focus on and that was one of the big uh controversies around napoleon as well um and i think that makes them so incredibly interesting because essentially you could have the same take on napoleon on world war Two or on any other subject even if it's like fictional like you brought up with lord of the rings and people could have a different filmmaker could have a wholly dis- different take on how to approach basically the same story uh and that makes it so so interesting and i don't even care as much about like the uh historical accuracy as much as you go for um the maybe overarching emotion that is reflected mm. in something like that uh, uh but it's a tricky subject especially if you have um actual like data hot data on historical things um because you also want to represent the people in there and then i think it always gets tricky and when you don't have to do that i think then um you are more open to actually craft like your own vision of it uh but obviously yeah there's some people who like one thing more (laughs) than others who would love just like to have a breakdown of a battle one-to-one and they don't need the emotion in there. They just want that reflected. And I, yeah, I think with Napoleon, it's going to be interesting because like it has both things, both groups of people who like the battle people and maybe the more story people. I don't think they're both like that happy with the film, <laughs> um, which yeah, makes it an interesting thing to discuss. But, uh, but yeah, what else, what, what are some of your favorite like epics and um, maybe period pieces? Again, it's really hard to to say what my favorite is because mm. what do we classify as an epic? What do we classify as like a big scale film? I think that yep. films like Apocalypse Now is a great example, and Full Metal Jacket are two great examples of of epics. Yeah. And another Kubrick would be, and and it's funny because it's a lot of Kubrick films of like Spartacus yeah. and Two Thousand and One, A Space Odyssey, Kubrick. Do we, do we just do it now? Do we just crown him as like the the director who could do epics better than anybody else because he had a, a massive yeah. uh, idea of scale and how to make things feel big? Uh, but mm-hmm. even during a lot of those films, a lot of people obviously say that there, there's not really that much emotion in them. There really is. And, and he does really connect with a lot of his characters to very dark things. And that makes yeah. him quite relatable. And, and it's interesting to see what, Ridley Scott does with Napoleon in this movie that we're going to be talking yeah. about compared to what other people have portrayed Napoleon as like in other Napoleon films. Right? Which I don't know. I don't know so, if you are familiar with. I, I don't think I've seen Napoleon on screen that much. Um, I haven't seen him on screen, but yeah. I have... Well, no, no. I have seen him on screen. I've seen him a couple times. I know there's a couple of other Napoleon movies, but... Mm-hmm. I uh, and I was gonna to get to this later, but one of the right. things I noticed is that in this version of Napoleon, he's not really a like a. It's funny because he's short, but like a tall figure, like a, like he's he's not right. this grand, powerful figure that we yeah. know Napoleon to be with this ruler, this conqueror, right? That he wanted mm-hmm. to be, that he's known throughout history for very successful war tactics that are still used today, right? Yeah. But in this epic, it's Napoleon, quite simply, as a bitch, and 
that was also yeah. something I found super exciting because this is a character that, and and this is like you know how we talk about how uh, who's that who's the director that like uh, Ryan Johnson loves subverting expectations, right? So here I am going in to watch a Ridley Scott movie, right? Ridley Scott, who has made some of the most insane pieces of film the past couple of decades with yeah. presenting some really, really cool figures in history and just really, really cool characters and just being so strong and powerful, right? Some that we don't even know, some that we do know, yada, yada, yada. And then he does Napoleon and he mm. makes Napoleon a bitch. And that's great. <laughs> it is. I mean, to me, it, like you brought up Kubrick, I think it just reminded me a lot of Barry Lyndon and how we mm. look at that character with kind of disgust the whole time through. And it's not a long movie. It's not a like period piece, but also would classify as an epic. Um, yeah. It's, I should have made that one my double feature pick, but I, I didn't. That was all of the Kubrick films kind of work well together with Napoleon yeah. and just like with Ridley Scott overall. But, but, yeah. but if we, yeah. if we switch the conversation from epics to, to more of a period piece, well, yeah. that that's a, an easier genre to, to define period pieces are, there's just a uh, lot of them because yeah, technically yes, everything that's not present day is a period piece. That's why like on the list that I found even something like my beloved after Sun is on this because it's set like 20 years in, in the past for the main character. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't go that far. I think more historical be uh, period pieces is, is what we would yeah kind of classify here, which is a lot of war stuff uh, mainly. It is a lot of war stuff. It's, it's a yeah. lot of, um, World War Two, uh, pretty much any any World War Two film is a period piece. Uh, yeah. Anything from the nineties is a period piece in a way. Um, but you you've got your your, and I think the the best sort of period piece is is westerns. Like they they still mm. have always been a period piece from the starting of their popularity even till now. That's a yeah. period of history that we're never going to be able to experience ourselves and that's why that genre yeah. has probably been so popular there are a couple like modern westerns that are also set like in modern day i think that would clar uh, like classify as a western but they obviously don't have the, the, the oh the no of course yeah no no yeah right? yeah i'm talking about the the classic gun but the cla uh, all right. yeah yeah the yeah well no <laughs> mobile gunslinger still yeah yeah <laughs> in america they're still like so there's a lot of guns around but yeah yeah that's but that's true yeah most of it ends up being a a a war film or just yeah it's really and i guess that now if, if you think about it it is also really hard to to talk about period pieces because almost anything <laughs> set 10 years ago is now a period piece but like titanic's a period piece that that is a period piece i mean I wouldn't say it like that because it's always from the perspective of when the movie is made, it is a period piece. Not that like only the things that come out right now are like not period pieces. I think it's like when it chooses to go back, uh, not just in. Oh no. Yeah. It's, no, but like, like, you know, yeah. But when that film came out, the, the, the subject of that year of that film is years prior Then yes, it's a period piece. Does that mean movies in the future are period pieces? No, those are the, that then you would clarify that as science fiction because you go forward. I, I think, uh, yeah. I, I, don't know. I don't know. Define period piece. A work as of literature, art, uh, cinema, or music 
whose special values lie in its vacation of a history. Okay, so it is historical. Okay. Damn it. I thought I was on the something there. Um, but yeah, there's some good ones. I mean, my favorite for a long time, uh, infamously, is Shinda's List, and I think it kind of clarifies as that perfect, like, period piece war film. World War One as well, with another Kubrick, uh, with another Kubrick, Paths of Glory, uh, Grave of the Fireflies, World War Two again. There's there's a lot really, uh, really good stuff in here. About the Battle of Algiers, another famous one. Um, yeah, basically anything that Kubrick does, apart from I guess even The Shining. Is The Shining a period piece, or is that set in present day? I don't. Remember. I'm like pretty sure that's set in then. present day. Right. Well, then. He does only do period pieces, and I think that um, his last one, what was well, his last Yeah, one I don't think there's any uh, Eyes Wide Shut. That's also yeah. not a period piece that's set at the same time. Yeah. But, yeah, Ridley Scott's got a decent amount of period pieces as well. He really focuses on them, and um, another comparison that we could draw, maybe we could talk about this a bit later on as well when we are in the review, but uh, Tarantino has an interesting approach to uh, history as well with Once Upon a Time uh, in Hollywood and in Glorious Bastards of how he changes it, uh, obviously to a more satirical over-the-top and ultimately to be exploited by his c- cinematic storytelling uh, in that type mm. of way. And with Ridley Scott, it's way more subdued uh, in the way that he does it. It's just like he wants yes. to convey something visually. It's not as big. Uh, some historians would clearly dis- disagree here, but he also does that. Yeah, yeah. Especially with with this latest one, it was brought to the forefront with uh, him, the French army shooting at the pyramids in Giza, and that's yeah, that's <laughs> not, not really what that's happened. Not, that didn't actually happen. <laughs> no. Um, I think I think the way that although the way that Tarantino goes about a period piece compared to Ridley Scott is Tarantino is not there to tell a period piece; he's there to entertain. Yeah. Yeah, where exactly. Ridley Scott yeah. is Ridley Scott's in it for for a bit of entertainment, but also for the fact that he he's working on making this movie that's you know going to be watched for years and years later. When someone's like, "What's the best Napoleon movie?" and Ridley Scott's going to be the the Ridley Scott's movie is going to be the one that people are going to go to because it's mm. it's one of the cooler representations of the character, and yeah. that's super exciting. Like, uh, what's another? Uh, what's what was that period? I just had it in my head. Um. I'm trying to think of it. I'm just trying to write it down. The zone of interest. Uh, about something what's from the word? This no, 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 no. Zone of interest. Um, zone of interest. That's a great one. Is La La Land a period piece? I don't think. I don't think it is. I don't know. By the list that we got here, they defined it. It's, the set, it's set outside set of time and space. <laughs> right. And then it's more a a fantastical, a, a fantasy movie. I don't know. It's like always when you try to put things into like certain boxes that uh mm. you end up having a lot of struggles because art isn't really you can't really break it apart that much um and like like you can break it apart obviously but you can't just like categorize it as much so what makes yep. it interesting um also i yeah. really like this letterbox list how it is literally ordered in what year everything took place <laughs> Yeah, and there's almost 5,000 movies on this. Like, that is so crazy. Uh, Exodus, God do. and Kings, there it is. It's great. If this person has literally gone through every single one of these movies and just ordered them, huh. that's that's brilliant. I mean, yeah, they must be a, hint- a history buff a bit, so they kind of know when, when stuff is, is, is roughly set. 
interesting stuff here. But uh, I think that that concludes discussion time. Let us know what what your favorite period pieces Wait, and epics are. And what what you is your favorite period it. piece? I think I would have to go with like my really pretentious answer, which which would be comment C, or maybe Grave of the Fireflies. Of course, some real sad of course. shit. Uh, it's just like yeah, it touches me. It touches me. I mean, obviously, Grave of the Fireflies also, you know, changes reality in the way that it's like animated and uh it's yeah. uh Isao what he what he does with that is is beautiful and i think it's it's yeah takes your breath away um really adorable film that not a lot of people who love ghibli kind of know how like period piece dark it can kind of get mm. uh and um uh, it's a great movie yeah let us know what you think about all of those movies and uh, the genre, uh, if we missed anything with our discussion of how we categorize it or what we see in it, I think it's, yeah, it's always interesting to kind of define genre limitations. Let's get to what we've been watching, Lachlan. Or should I say uh, what you've been playing? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I finished Alan Wake 2, which is great. Oh, you finished it? And um, okay. I finished it, and I uh, have uh, completed the game, and yep. I had an absolutely great time uh, because it is a game which has a lot of live action elements, which means there's mm. a lot of uh, stuff I can break down from not yep. only a game making standpoint but also a filmmaking standpoint because mm-hmm. there is literally a 15 minute short film in this game. Right. Well, uh, well uncut they're like literally thing? whole whole uncut thing. One of the it's it's a story oh. element. You have to kind of make your way through a cinema at one point, and yeah. there is a, a sh- there's a film that's been lost. And after you've completed the area on your way out, it actually screens on a projector screen in the theater. And you could you could just keep right. walking if you want, or you can just stand there and watch it. And I and I stood there <laughs> and watched it. And yeah, yeah, there was a lot of fun stuff with the game, but. Basically, um, it was just one of the games that I wanted to to play before the year was out, and I'm glad I did. And I haven't been watching a lot of movies. And usually, when I when I play a game and it's like a big one, big open world or something, there's plenty of stuff to do in between. And I'll usually have a movie on the other monitor. Just yeah, I'm, I'm one of those guys who can like do two things at once. But this mm. game, no, nah, I tried, which is I'm sorry, it's it's partially why the the Ridley Scott bracket has to be pushed back because yeah. I tried watching even during the the worst of Ridley Scott's movies I had to still pause it because I just kept getting engaged with the game and just I would pause it hours at a time and go back to it and watch five minutes and then I'd be like no I want to keep keep playing so yeah, yeah it's uh it's it's a it's a really really brilliant game uh it, I'm kind of saying it's my game of the year but um mm-hmm. yeah it's also a game that uh, I think as someone who watches a lot of video essays, there are going to be a bajillion video essays on it mm. coming in the next few years because it, it is really, uh, there's a lot to break down out of this game. Right. And that's just the the brilliance of Remedy Studios who uh, mm-hmm. made the game. Yeah, I'm still uh, looking forward to playing uh, both games one day. Uh, but yeah. Oh, oh, wait. Wait. Oh yeah, he's got oh, another. He's got the Black oh, Friday. Oh wait, no, it's right media. here. Yeah. 
Ooh, he's got the Oppie 4K Ultra HD. Steelbook. Nice. Metal. Yeah. Does it come with bonus features? Yep, there's three hours of uh, bonus stuff in it. So, oh, wow. special features, uh, story of our time, the making of Oppenheimer. There's a press Q&A panel. And then there's to end all wall, Oppenheimer and the atomic bomb and more. So, there is a, there's a lot in here. Let us know if it's worth getting. I think you are someone who really likes uh, physical media and is always getting yep. it as it's disappearing from Australia, unfortunately. Right? They're not really doing... I'm holding the lines. The, the no, no, it's just it's lines. just Disney, I believe, who's not selling physical media in ah. Australia anymore, which it's unfortunate because they're such a big company that... Uh, yeah. It, I think I, there was a couple articles about it from um, people like... Christopher Nolan talking about how particular movies are just being removed from streaming and then there's no access to them anymore. Uh, yep. and that, and that can be found across the board, but this is, um, this is good to have. That's all the stuff, uh, that you've been up to this week. I watched some stuff as well from pretty good to pretty bad. Uh, first up uh, that Adam Sandler animated flick as him as, as a lizard uh, who's in a school, and then he is also a talking lizard, so he gives advice to the children in the school. I, I think it's quite a campy, it's quite a, a cheesy, but it's uh, him in his, his dad roles that he's currently uh, doing, where he's like, Ooh, I'm this old guy who has a bunch of wisdom, and he casts his daughters again in it. Uh, but it it's fine, it's totally harmless, uh, but yeah, didn't love it. Wish, that new Disney movie, uh, pff, Lachlan, really not worth seeing. I think no? it doesn't okay, have cool. a soul at all. Chris Pine is like the antagonist. There's also Ariana uh, DeBose, who was uh, in West Side Story. Um, she's a great singer, but the songs are pretty bland. Uh, and there's just too many characters in like the supporting cast. And it feels just like they're dead just to be dead there but they don't have any like actual purpose in the story and it's essentially like a prequel or like an origin story to the wishing star and at weird points it just drop like references to other disney stories um because like mm. the premise is that people give away their dreams to like this magician who's the king of the of this town or whatever and he only grants wishes that he deems fit to be granted uh but the people give the wishes away and it's all about like reclaiming your dreams and it's like a, a jumbled premise that could actually be pretty emotional and some of the songs were like "Ooh, got me emotional and i was like okay but this movie is just it's music it's the music that's like that can kind of move you but there's nothing really there in the story it's a bit underwhelming but uh, that's no surprise recently with disney unfortunately and then the japanese godzilla godzilla minus one um, <laughs> I got invited to Flex Flex here to uh, see this at a private press screening at the Swiss distributor. Uh, I'm saying this not to not to flex mainly, but because Japanese distribution is so strict. Uh, I think it's by the Tohei uh, company uh, or Toho. Um, I'm actually blanking on which one is still active and which one doesn't exist anymore. But they had a huge like watermark on the whole thing. And they also streamed the movie for us. So it wasn't like a copy that they had. 
So at, at times it looked so abysmal. <laughs> it's like, I, <laughs> and it was also like a pretty small screen. Uh, it was the greatest experience. I was wondering the halfway through, why didn't you just send me a screener? But obviously the Japanese wouldn't let that happen. Um, but overall, I think the, the movie is pretty solid for like a monster flick. It's from a different perspective as uh, or compared to like the recent US ones, which have Godzilla as this mi misunderstood monsters that maybe just needs its nails clipped and then he's all fine and is actually protecting us. In the original Japanese version, Godzilla is a force of nature that's just there to just, uh, for destruction. And um, yeah. You wouldn't agree totally there? No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing oh, or agreeing. Some... Okay, uh, okay, okay. But, but I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring it up earlier and you can yeah. just double back to it. But yep. I watched an incredibly fun video essay on mm -hmm. this this week. Um, <laughs> right. I came across this new channel called Curious Archive on YouTube. Mm. And mm. Uh, it's one of his latest ones called Sympathy for the monster uh it's 25 yeah. minutes long and mm. it is about the evolution of monsters in stories from when they were just told to us and how they displayed in artworks and yeah. to now like how for example godzilla has gone from a destroying uh, you know a city destroying monster to a monster that we care for and we want to love and nurture so yeah. it's just a uh, a really good video essay for those who want to explore that topic a little bit more yeah and i think it's an interesting one that is also not really covered in depth here because it is just a it, this is a period piece <laughs> like it takes place shortly yeah. after world war uh two and it's very much about like the collective coming together and the one sacrificing the good of the all of of everyone that's like that type of story arc and godzilla is not really like a, a character in it um he's just the antagonist and i think uh well to me i haven't seen any of the older godzilla movies and i know they're all streaming on criterion and because i was also quite busy in the last couple of weeks i couldn't get around to watching some of them i think there's like 24 uh but i've been meaning to and, and i might even um, like I don't know, early next year or maybe even this year, I'll get to watching some of them because it's a totally different perspective of what and why this character mm. exists of Godzilla uh, as like a reaction to um, the U.S. force in Japan, um, and I think that is totally lost. It has become a, a completely different allegory that this thing represents. Um, it's really interesting. So uh, yeah, I can I can recommend Godzilla minus one for those who like monster flicks. I think it's worth your while. And when it comes to slashers, we're not getting Scream Seven, at least not with the original cast. But Thanksgiving, Eli Roth. I don't know. Like, are you familiar? Have you seen uh, Eli Roth films like uh, Hostel and I don't know what else he's done? That's like uh, I have actually noteworthy. not seen. Um, I wouldn't say like none of his stuff, but I yeah. I have seen Knock Knock some of them. Yeah, Actually, I've only you know seen what? two. No, <laughs> well, I guess I've I seen Hostel. Uh, but but yeah, he's the director who uh, I mean, he also often works as a writer, uh, but then as a producer and actor mainly as well. When you look to his credits, uh, he's in uh some stuff from Tarantino. He was part of the Grindhouse uh like um collective 
from Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, all of those. Oh, wait, was that the double feature with a bunch of intermissions? I haven't seen that one. But apparently there was like a spoof fake trailer for a movie called Thanksgiving in that one. And he ended up making that movie, uh, which is essentially just a really bloody uh, slasher. Um, I think it's on the level of like the, the recent Scream films, maybe slightly below it. But it has some pretty gruesome kills, a fucked up story. And for those who like slashers, I think they'll actually be pleasantly surprised by uh, yeah. this movie and what it has to offer. So I uh, would also kind of recommend this one. If, if, if you like the genre, then I think you'll, you'll be pleased with what you're getting. Then I also found out that Invincible, uh, the uh, Amazon Prime animated show, uh, is, is not returning with episode 5 until uh, 2024. I was wondering why oh. Amazon only sent me like part one of this and I watched the first four episodes that it has just come out, I think, as of like a couple of days ago now. Uh, and then I found out, oh, they're not continuing the story until 2024. Um, so that's, that's interesting. That's that you're just doing right now. Yes, I had to move, get that in there, Lachlan. I can't not. Um, but I think it ends on a bang. I think uh, if it just means that everyone is caught up up until episode four, including you, Lachlan, before we get into the second half of the season, that might be good. I don't know if it's killing a bit of the momentum that maybe the series has. Although I didn't really hear as much uh, like um, from people talking about it uh, this year. But uh, a show that I can really recommend is pretty good. And then, yeah, I might even hold off on this uh, because... Monarch Legacy of Monsters, I've watched the first two and a half episodes, like, right before we started this, I have, like, ten minutes more to go in episode three, and it's a really solid show so far, I gotta say. It uh, takes place in the American timeline of Godzilla movies in between uh, some of the films of in between, like, the first Godzilla and then one of the later ones, um, and it also jumps back and forth in time, uh, back to, like, the 50s. Uh, I say, like, uh, uncovering um, Godzilla and, like, the institution institution of Monarch that's kind of in the background there. And I think it's a really intriguing show that's well done and it's backed by Apple. So, like, the effects that they do uh, for the monster stuff when he appears is, like, it's pretty solid. It looks pretty good. It actually looked a bit better than Godzilla Minus One, I gotta say. Because, like, in Godzilla Minus One, he sometimes looked like he was kind of rigid uh like tied to whatever the animation was there there was a scene where like he's in the water and he's supposed to be like really in deep water but he's just standing and it doesn't really make sense and i talked to someone who was at the screening who said like he really wanted to see like his his little feet flutter in the water and we never got the underwater shot unfortunately uh but uh yeah some solid stuff there i can recommend it but the show has another like seven episodes more to go so uh, probably talk about it again once the series has wrapped. But um, yeah, that's all the stuff that, that I watched this week and uh, hopefully some stuff that you'll be watching this week. So uh, let's get to our main review, which is for Ridley Scott's Napoleon. So Lacan, I dropped you two loglines here, uh, slightly different from each other, one from Letterboxd, the other from IMDb. And I just wanted to make you choose which one you believe is the better one. That we should. I'm gonna pick the letterbox one. I don't. I'm not even gonna read the IMDb one. I prefer okay, the letterbox okay. one any day. Sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's just because I'm a fanboy at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> Napoleon, 
a personal look at the French military leader's origins and swift, ruthless crime. Oh, crime. Fuck that one up. Hey, uh, that's a bit of a Freudian slip. It definitely was a crime for him to, <laughs> to become the emperor. He stole it. Very good. A personal look at the French military leader's origins and swift, ruthless climb to emperor. Viewed through the prism of Napoleon's addictive, volatile relationship with his wife and one true love, Josephine. Oh, how beautiful. I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, totally non-problematic relationship unfold in front of our eyes. Uh, yes, this a theatrical version of Ridley Scott's Napoleon comes in at a runtime of uh, 2 hours and 27 minutes. Uh, we are promised to get uh, a cut that's about like two hours longer than this, or like at least one and a half Let's hours go. longer. Let's uh, go! I want really more! looking forward to it. Expanding, especially on Josephine's uh, storyline is what I'm told. That uh, from interviews with Vanessa Kirby, uh, I think she mentioned that like an entire subplot about like one of her affairs is not in the movie at all. Um, so I think, especially her on the back half, I'm really interested. So, uh... I'll definitely be watching that. Luckily, I think you'll be watching that uh, director's cut as well. So, yep. yeah, we'll report back on a later date what we think about that version. But first, let's get to the one that we already have at the moment that you can go see. Uh, so far, it's been received quite positive. Well, no, I wouldn't say positively, actually. <laughs> Let me take that back. It's kind of okay-ish. But in recent years, that's kind of been the standard for Ridley Scott. Uh, his last uh, two films, House of Gucci and uh, The Last Duel, weren't received with unanimous praise. It was uh, kind of mixed there as well. Uh, for this, we get a letterbox rating of 3.2, IMDb 6.8, and a Metacritic score of 64. Um, with a budget of 130 to 200 million reports kind of very... Uh, there, this was a very expensive movie to make because, as we know, period pieces do cost a lot of money, especially if they're done by Ridley Scott. Uh, so this will likely uh, not make its money back in the theatrical window. It's doing very similar numbers to what Killers of the Flower Moon uh, has been doing in the opening, and that movie is currently at 147 million dollars uh, worldwide with a 200 million dollar budget. So clearly. Apple is not looking to make a return on its investment uh, there, but ultimately build its brand up. And, well, it does with these presti prestigious filmmakers that get to tell their stories. So I'm, I got no complaints. I'm actually really happy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. What it comes to the fact sheet, the stuff that we need to get out. Now, let's get to uh, full-on spoiler thoughts for the film. So if you haven't seen the film, and you care to be spoiled, then uh, please return uh, back to this video at a later date. Uh, yeah, we'll get into it, Lachlan. So what did you make of the film um, overall? Overall, it's pretty solid. I would say that I'm a little bit disappointed, but I guess I am on one side of the film compared to the other part of the film that exists that I wasn't ready for. And obviously I was going right. in ready to watch this you know, war epic and turns out it's less of an epic and more of a romance film yeah. uh, with with battles between with battles. them and the French and the rest of the world. So 
the film that I thought I was going to go see ends up being different. And you said this, there are people who are going into this film for the battles. There are people who are going yeah. in for this film for the relationship of Napoleon and Josephine. Mm-hmm. And I'm not disappointed that the film turned out like this. In fact, I actually thought the moments with Napoleon and Josephine were really, really good. However, yeah. however, they cannot do these two films because there are two separate films in this movie, the story of Napoleon and Josephine and Napoleon becoming the conqueror in two and a half hours. It's yeah. too much to squeeze in. They cannot develop these characters enough for me to actually care about their relationship. I'm happy enough that both Vanessa Kirby does an incredible job and Joaquin Phoenix does an incredible job at playing these characters, yet the story that they follow, unfortunately, just doesn't evolve enough for me to really care about that relationship. And if there is another hour and a half, two hours that have been cut out of this film, then I am excited to see the director's cut because I think that would be the film that I would prefer more. I yeah. I loved moments in this film, but it just kept breaking down from fast pace, slow, fast pace, slow, and I just I wasn't enjoying the pacing of it overall. I've heard some critiques as well that I also noticed about the like you said the pacing, but also the tonal shifts that this movie takes quite abruptly when you go from a pretty serious moment into um, something where we are just supposed to laugh at Napoleon. Um, and obviously, there is a tension there where you can break it with comedy. But sometimes it was like it, it didn't completely fit and it also wasn't really funny. Um, but I feel like Ridley Scott definitely does a lot of that stuff intentionally where he, he tries to make you maybe uncomfortable even with the uh, the comedy that, that he puts in there. I just wasn't at times really seeing the complete vision of what what what, does, what is this movie's best version? And yeah. do we have to wait? Do we have to get so much more to actually get it? Because uh, a lot of the stuff, especially on the battlefield, I think we don't really get a lot of what... like. I think it, it obviously goes in with you with the expectation. Obviously, everyone knows who Napoleon was and um, sort of what he did and what he stands for. And um, sometimes I would have just loved to have seen that character that we get, get those moments other than us kind of assuming that we know because it also deviates from history. So it would have been really important to kind of see certain steps or just a bit more of uh of of why and we jump we make big jumps of like where he basically has risen the ranks uh because it ultimately is not a story about like him raising the ranks at all it's what he does with the power that he holds and like he's a big man on the battlefield but as soon as he gets home he's he's small and he's insecure uh and it's also like how he's perceived uh it's a lot about that and how he wants to be perceived and what he's his, his, like, kind of forced hand is, um, and kind of the institutions that are there with, like, needing an heir uh, to the throne and all of that. And I think it, it juggles a lot of that stuff. And like you said, if it expands on that in the director's cut, I think we have an amazing film. But I don't want to praise it before I see it. It might just be a lot mm. more of, like, stupid stuff that, <laughs> I don't know, they just cut because it wasn't that good. Um, but, yeah, those are my two cents. 
I think that individually each scene has been crafted quite well. I think oh. dialogue is great. It's delivered perfectly by, and, and, and again, Joaquin Phoenix, Vanessa Kirby carry the scenes oh, yeah, that they're stunning. in so well, yep. whether they are like against each other or whether they are just by themselves in the battle yeah, or and, and if it's glitches, Josephine it, at home. And it switches so fast as well, right? Between it's yeah. such a, it's such an impulsive relationship that they have. Uh, and it feels almost performative for us at times, but then it also kind of makes sense that there's no real version of them. It's always like something weirdly crafted. Uh, that like mm. they, there's always a performative part that they have to, play as in the role that they are supposed to play and kind of juggling that i think there's a really layered approach to how you could dissect this relationship but what i appreciate about Ridley scott is that he doesn't really need to dissect this stuff and kind of present it to you like this is where i stand he just kind of mm. he just he just kind of does it and i think that's some of the critiques that the last duel also got because he was dealing with a really touchy subject and he just kind of did it if it did it well, yeah, it's up to you. Probably didn't do it with the like the best taste, you know, uh, that you could do there. But it was it was regardless still effective from the perspective that that, that he could put on it. And I feel the same way about Napoleon. Um, well, a lot of stuff I think he gets right, but uh, but yeah, I was a bit, I was a bit surprised. Like that first fight when they um when he basically has to prove himself that he's his um strategical prowess is something that will freedom of the british uh that have like uh are like um occupying uh this port and he rides into battle and the first thing that happens is like his horse gets shot and just obliterated and it was such a moment where i wasn't like obviously it's played for like comedy weirdly and i <laughs> it was just like so i was i was distraught it was like what is happening because like that whole thing leading up to it didn't feel that way um i don't how, how did you feel about like those those moments so that particular moment i don't think it was played for comedy i think that yeah. uh, after all the the film does have this really interesting sort of text at the end explaining that napoleon essentially killed three million people yeah uh at least f French. I believe that at the end it's just the yeah, French, French deaths. French, French, so yeah. killed w way more. But at least the men that he was controlling, he killed three million. And there is a there's a whole march into the uh, Saint Petersburg in Russia, uh, mm -hmm. and he pushes on. And it's not from a battle; it's from the cold. His men just die. So he yeah. doesn't have this this connection to his men. It's almost like he's you know, a figurehead, but. This entire storyline could have been over like that. And that's how I saw that particular scene. Not played for comedy where he literally almost died. But that could have been Napoleon. That could have been it. He could have just mm -hmm. been another casualty who died. Yeah. And it's, it's like that, um, there's, there's the story of, uh, I, I might be getting this wrong. I don't think I am. I've been doubting myself recently. I don't think I got this wrong. Where someone pointed a gun at Hitler in World War One, and mm. because Hitler was unarmed, they didn't kill him, and they let him go. And if Hitler died in World War One, we wouldn't have had a possibility, ah, right. a, different, a different timeline, right? So that, there's yeah. that story of that, where at the start yeah. of Napoleon, 
his battle, which is going to define him as a great leader and a strategist for war, if he just dies, that if he if he came so close to death, no, like we, we story the history might have been different, clearly, but also yeah. the people that died for him maybe wouldn't have died. There would have been peace possibly in France, but that's how easily he could have died, and he didn't, and he's and he somehow managed to evade death throughout his entire life, even to the point where at the end of his career as a general, he wasn't sentenced to death. He was exiled to an island. He just yeah. kept evading it. And, and I didn't see, I didn't find it comedic. I found it quite jarring with the horse's guts being spilled out of its body. It, uh, yeah. And <laughs> I found it quite funny when he took the cannonball out of the horse and yep. passed it to his for brother mother. and said, for mum, yeah, that was funny. And I found yeah. those moments comedic. I also found the, the again, there's comedic lines such as uh, you British think you're so good because you have boats or something along the lines of that that he says to the British yeah. representative. And I found that really funny because it's just a comment out of nowhere where he's just a, a, a tiny little man who's got little man syndrome and he's mad and he's going to go yell and he says something stupid along the line. And, and he says, you British think you're so good because you have boats, right? And he just walks off. That, that was... Yeah funny comedic and it showed that he had the terrible temper but that was played for comedy i didn't think that that moment at the start was was it was just meant um, to be comedic but i could definitely a, see how you see it like right? a, a friend of mine who was in that screening laughed out loud louder than at any other point when that happened just because yeah. it comes kind of out of nowhere and it's really over the top in how it like it's a cannonball and straight fired at him uh and yeah. the whole lead up to him entering the battle is like with him and all of this anxiety that he has to, to enter. Yeah. Yeah, he's very nervous. And um I I think it, it humanizes him more as a as a fighter that goes in. And we obviously don't really get that with all of the people that fight and die for him that just like supposed to get in line and fight for your country. The grunts. Um mm. uh, uh, <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> I got something in my wrong. You're wrong. getting all choked up, mate. Oh yeah, I'm getting emotional because I'm seeing more mm. happen in front of me. It's like I love that genre. Uh, I think this for the war stuff wasn't like an amazing movie, but the battles. Excuse were me, what the fuck good. did you just say? <laughs> oh, okay. I just I, okay. Uh, oh, th- I uh, you took like, a while to get to that point. Okay, I, okay, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you then. Um, I thought we we're about to get into a disagreement, but no, I agree. <laughs> uh, I I think that like moment where you see a big triumph of his with uh leading them um in and then pushing them out onto the ice uh that unfortunately we already got to see in the trailer so i kind of knew what was about to happen um but didn't care that was the best moment it was that was the best it was stunning fight out of the entire movie except for the one also right at the end but that one takes the cake for me i enjoyed that one so that was oh perfect Right after when you get to uh, when you get to have the Austrian guy, uh, I think it's the Austrian guy, come in to kind of um, talk to him uh, and him basically going, oh, yeah, I spared the lives of all of your people. So maybe you can show some Mm. gratitude. That kind of power movement that he like maneuvers that he does diplomatically when he's so weak in other parts like that was to me really intriguing. And I kind of wanted more 
of of that and ultimately it gets a bit more simplified when you when you get to the um the Russian guy who's essentially just kind of Charles in Alexander there to, the second or first whatever it was ultimately is leading to like some kind of cucking thing that <laughs> they want to get at to make basically yeah. making the little man anyways again like, okay. I think it's another storyline that that would probably be extended in the longer cut but you only yeah. see a a sort of little glimpse of it which it those those little moments like that I felt were probably storylines that are going to be expanded if the director's cut eventually comes out and that longer yeah. cut comes out and hopefully in 4K um and awesome. not just on Apple TV but if it's on Apple TV I won't be mad because it's still great streaming quality but I hopefully yeah. it's on a physical media but yeah the, you can see those storylines that started, ended, and the ones that could have just sizzled and, and spent a little bit more time developing. And I think you, you already said there's a whole storyline of Josephine's uh, affairs taken out because really in the film there's only one affair yeah. and that's... <laughs> It, it, it's early on as well. It right? doesn't really give you that. It's really early on. There's never another one, and you don't really get that feeling of yes, she slept around. All of a sudden, she's been branded a slut, and she slept with one other person. And it was like, no, yeah. that that's just not the definition. And and it, that, yeah, you don't clearly, get that from her. And it clearly omits all of the moments that he uh, was sleeping around because, like, there. I I don't know how to read it completely. Because Shocking Phoenix gives such a weird performance there. Uh, when she asks, like, he confronts her about, like, sleeping with someone, um, cheating on him. And then she says, yeah, but did you meet any women or, like, sl sleep with them while you were on your escapades of, like, taking over all of Europe and Northern Africa? And he was like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I was like, okay. Is he just, like, overcompensating here? He's to, lying. To be Is yeah. he lying? Do you think so? So I saw that as him I lying. I don't know if he Yeah, is. no. No, no, I think he's lying. And and the reason is is because when he's at war, he's this top dog. He's the the head, he's he's their emperor as he eventually becomes. But with Josephine, yeah. he he he's submissive to her. He, he's he's lower than her. And that's always even when she's thrown out and he's got the upper hand she eventually turns it around and puts it back onto him, right? With the whole, yeah. you're nothing without me. She's, he gets her to say, you're nothing without me. And then literally the next scene is her switching the power back into her hand and saying the exact same thing and getting him to repeat it. So for me, with that scene where, he's, where she goes, did you not go and sleep with other women? Well, if, if that was the case, we would have seen it. Ridley Scott would have shown us that, but he doesn't. So I don't know in that would. case, I if know. I haven't seen it, then it's not true. It did so it didn't happen. Same with the pyramids. If, if you of don't, Pisa, if it doesn't like happen on Scott screen, said, if it we doesn't happen on screen, there. it's not true. <laughs> but like, like, it's like the Scott number said, one rule. We were, we were all not there in Egypt when Napoleon was taking over. Yeah. So who's to say he didn't shoot at the pyramids? Who's to say yeah. that <laughs> we weren't? <laughs> Dumbest. If I was. If I was at in Egypt in that period and I was invading I'd it, that at, would be perfect I, I target practice. The They're big and yeah. you can't really miss them unless you and, shoot up high because they get and they the, the the target gets thinner and thinner as you go higher and, up. Yeah, yeah. 
if you're American, you put a flag at the top of it all. Um, yeah, mm. lots of stuff that you can do there. Uh, but yeah, um, the tech. I think Ridley Scott is also a very technical uh guy, similar to Fincher. Yeah. Although I don't think we'll get a tech breakdown similar to what we got with the killer, where it basically turns out the whole sequence is just like VFX that. For some reason, I mean, it didn't need to be VFX, but it's David Fincher. He just kind of does that stuff. But uh, Ridley Scott was talking about shooting with more cameras and essentially having that um, big, I think the final fight scene or maybe that one with the ice was supposed to be a six-day shoot and they did it in three and a half. Um, hmm. And yeah, what, 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 what do you think about that? Do you think this like stuff that gets lost if you try to just make it as efficient as possible or no. you think he's onto something here? I think, uh, so it, it's interesting, right, when it comes to technical stuff, because th- this is like my favorite part about the film industry oh, yeah. is there are people who will say you should only shoot with one camera, and then there are people who like, uh, you know, was it, is it The Hobbit that shot with 48 different cameras in that film? Oh, I don't know. Film? I'm pretty sure they shot with 48 red cameras um, for The Hobbit series because- yeah. They wanted to get as many options and angles as possible. But in, in, in certain situations, I think that a single camera shoot is, is more important. And I think that for driving a narrative, like having a perspective that you're focusing on and drawing that picture with that camera is going to be more beneficial. But But. in a, in a battle scene where you have explosives and people running and a lot of things going on uh i would probably use a multi-cam setup because i wouldn't want to fuck up a take because the camera wasn't rolling so i think yeah. that there are elements for both multi-camera setups and also solar camera solo camera shoots that are, have their pros and cons but generally i think like like two or three cameras is fine five to six cameras for big shoots and then like one for you know very important scenes where like you really 20, want to frame it I think they, they had, had like 20, 20 cameras i think they had like what did they shoot cameras? on i don't know i i think that's hang like on what cameras the, did they have he because the quote was that ridley scott used to always shoot just on one or two and he didn't want to do more than that and then his cinematographer kind of convinced him that it does make sense to do more and basically was like ah oh, the wonders of you know cuts down a lot of the stuff that we that we have to to get if we can just cross off the well, once you list. start trying to get coverage yeah. then it kind of makes sense right once you yeah, but once so you've different. shot your primary yeah like shots then you go coverage and yeah i guess it just depends on the scale of the film but yeah like sure it, don't, it only kind of makes sense in in fighting but not one-on-one fighting but like with mm. a mass of people with an army. Uh I think it still doesn't top uh one of the end fights in Kingdom of Heaven. I think that's still really Scott's best fight scene. But uh mm. there there are there, there are more in here and they they're really solid uh stuff, especially when the troops are just like running at each other. It's uh, yeah. It's it's crazy that that like the mass and the the action that he can create. <clears throat> Okay, so looks like they shot both digital and film. Mm. Um, yeah, they shot with a Panavision for the film, and it looks like they shot with a 
Aria Alexa Mini as well. And that would probably have been the multi-shoot. Again, shoot your main camera, make it film. That would be great. And then mm -hmm. get everything else to be digital because, you, you know, if, if you're going to be doing shots of your primary talent, you know, Walking Phoenix, Vanessa Kirby, and it's just conversation-based, right? There's not really a lot going on mm -hmm. there. Then you've got that single camera that you can get. There's a lot of shots where they're at a dinner table, right? And yeah. the lighting is all going to be set up in a certain way and, and it's just going to look, it's got to look gorgeous. So have that shot on your primary camera. And then when it comes to these battle scenes, then hell yeah, go, go digital, get 20 different fucking cameras and just have as many angles as you possibly can because you might be going, yes, I want big sweeping shots. But then you go into the editing suite and you realize that those two camera operators that were in the trenches doing handheld feels way more engaging right now than a sweeping beautiful shot of the battlefield so mm -hmm. i'm totally cool with either way but yeah i'm i'm glad ridley scott's kind of changing his ways and and using some new technology or at least at yeah. least uh new techniques for making his movies but maybe is it making his movies worse i don't know i'm not entirely sure if that like extended cut is just on josephine because one of the things that no, was shouldn't be. Uh, very extended in uh, Kingdom of Heaven by like, an, um, I think an hour or maybe even more, was a lot of the fight scenes. They were way more brutal. They were uh, extended. And I think having the material here, a lot of that uh, extra hour, hour and a half or two hours, I don't know how long it will turn out to be, will be on the battlefield as well. Um, and I think mm. that's also very Good. welcomed by me uh, because that there is a lot and you can kind of feel uh, the, the devastation of war and the impact and like the, the strategy that he puts into it. Uh, and that part of it is um, interesting. I don't know how much of the focus that this movie wants to have on that because uh, it clearly mm. seems to be very interested in um, the shortcomings of Napoleon Bonaparte as a person. Like basically even ending on a note where like he's he's in exile has been for like ten years or whatever, um or I don't know a couple of years and then like two uh, kids are playing and somehow it gets brought up to to Moscow uh, Moscow gets brought up and he's like oh yeah I, they surrendered to me or whatever and there's like no they actually lit them up themselves and they're like how do you know that and he's clearly mad about it uh still like yeah. there's still like some kind of anger that he holds um about like yeah being stood up being the shorter man not controlling the narrative and um that part of the overarching theme of that of, of the film i found really intriguing but i think it could have been a uh, quite a bit better uh yeah. and that's why uh like are you ready to share your rating or anything else you want to want to talk about yep um yep. i'm at a three and a half out of five for this one which isn't bad at all uh i just think there was like a, a way better movie in here um than than we got and maybe that is the extended cut maybe it's not but for any really scott fan i would say it's definitely uh worth seeing what about you luckman so i was at a four mm -hmm. and then at the end of that first battle i stayed at a four and then until the russian battle i went down to a three mm. Well, yeah, the Russian battle. Then yep. after that battle, I went up to a four and a half. And then uh, <laughs> I enjoyed that up until the divorce. 
where I went down again because I started getting really slow. And it yeah. wasn't until the final battle scene where I realized, look, I don't think this film knows what it is. I think yeah. Ridley really wanted to make two different movies. I think that the the war-hungry Napoleon is part of this movie, and then the the bitch boy Napoleon is the other one, and they're two separate movies that he's trying to sort of entangle into one, and it's impossible to do that at this runtime. You, you, you just you can't develop any of these characters to a point that makes it exciting. So I brought the rating to a three and a half, Mm. But, but, but if this director cut comes out, it's like 90 minutes of extra stuff and it just perfects the rest of the film. It just develops everything further and there's a bigger and better battles or maybe those battles that we had, they're even further extended then yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to bring this movie up into a higher, into a higher rating. But yeah, that's our thoughts on the film. Let us know what you uh, made of it, or are you going to wait until it releases on uh, Apple TV at a later point? Um, but, Lachlan, if you were to pair this movie up with another one, what would you choose for a double? I think a really good period piece epic that had came out recently. There was two that I wanted to pick. The first one yeah. was uh, The Green Knight, but I don't hmm. think that from a scale perspective, it was actually that big. I think it was actually quite yeah. small. So mm -hmm. I decided to switch it and go with The Northman as an epic uh, because yeah. that's a fun movie. That's, a, that's an epic. And it does have very similar elements of power and love. And I think that yeah. Robert Eggers does a better job at combining it. But there's one more period piece that I did want to just shout out, and that's Little Women, because that movie's yeah. a lot of fun. And I think Greta Gerwig does a great job with that one. Really? It's also like such a random other movie it's, to yeah, double feature with random. the Northman and Napoleon, but it's also to do with power and love. It, it, it has. Yeah, definitely. Um, I agree. I think the Northman is like... The Northman is very close to like be a a very it's, it's close to being perfect. I think it's a really good movie that has its themes um set on straight on its horseback and just like carries you along. Um, mm. it's really powerful, and I think it doesn't really need to span as much because it can loosen up on um yeah some of the. I guess institutions that are around in France and all of the nations and stuff, it can just like go bound, go back to brute force of this kind of male pride that he has, which is kind of his downfall as well. And like all of the passion that he has in love. But, um, I mean, I guess here it's reciprocal. The North, just go watch the Northman, man. It's a really good movie. Uh, but I also, I also went with a really good movie, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it's a Kubrick, uh, one. Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying About uh, and Love the Bomb because I think the most sillier aspects of Napoleon kind of tie into uh, this maybe a bit. I don't know. Maybe it's a bit of a stretch. Uh, Luckily, I think you also wanted to uh, initially have Spartacus uh, as your one, so I'm, I'm going to tack that along to my yeah. Kubrick thing. 
So lots of movies uh, to watch in pairing with Napoleon this week. But if you want to watch something new, then um, in the States on IMAX screens, uh, you are getting to see Godzilla Minus One. Uh, that's going to be quite an event. Uh, then, well, another huge event after the success of the Taylor Swift movie, Beyonce uh, also has her own concert film, Renaissance, that's hitting theaters worldwide. Uh, then we are getting Silent Night, a movie that I've heard only horrible things about, but um, <laughs> it's action thematic thing with Christmas, I guess. Uh, but May December is releasing on December first, a film that we caught in Gun, and I can't wait to revisit uh, Todd Haynes um, behind the camera, and then we got Natalie Portman and Julian Moore uh, and Charles Melton in front of it, a really uh controversial movie uh it's gonna be especially when the wider netflix audience is gonna uh watch it i'm really interested in the dialogue that it will spark we'll be talking about that one next week then another netflix film uh family switch with ed helms and jennifer garner um <laughs> looks bad just bad and then there's also uh about 15 horrible straight to like straight to dvd Netflix Christmas movies. I looked on the upcoming Netflix list and there was I, I, I do not lie to you seven back-to-back -back movies with like generic ass posters and titles that all are gonna come out later this week. It's crazy <laughs> but I guess yeah. there's an audience for it over on Netflix. They can just spam it to you. Out in limited release in the States is Eileen with Thomas and McKenzie and half and half away. Can't really recommend that one. I think it kind of misses its narrative focus a, a bit in what it tries to tell and it's a bit shock worthy but not good overall uh the sweet east is out haven't seen that one we missed it in gun and then the sitting duck la syndicalist uh i watched that one back in venice in 2021 so it's been a while but it finally is coming out it's a thriller about like bad co a, a bad corporation and murder intrigue and all of that if you're into that uh, I think it's a it's an alright film. It's it's decent. And then uh yeah, in Switzerland, uh we are finally getting Saw X. Now it has already been out for a while on VOD. I guess we can go see it in theaters now. I don't think I will, but hey, if you want to, it's out here now. And then uh Wish after the US start, it will uh launch here in Switzerland. And then like we said uh in previous weeks, in a couple of weeks at the end of December in Australia. But that's it for this week. Um, next week, we are going to talk about May, December. Um, you can all go check out that film because it is going to release on Netflix. So it should be widely accessible to everyone. It's out in limited release uh, and some places at the moment. And I think I will be rewatching or watching for the first time some of Todd Haynes films because uh, he's swiftly becoming one of my favorite filmmakers. He has some some great works uh he has some great films that he's done but um yeah don't forget to leave us a rating on your podcast app of choice and then go to the youtube <laughs> and click the like button and then um yeah like what else should they do on youtube i don't i don't know i'm too old i never go on the platform uh they should poke us on facebook how's that oh uh, yes oh my god i haven't been poked on facebook for so long Yes, bring bring back the nostalgia. Uh but that's that. We'll see we'll see you next week, all right? Bye.